Welcome to Copilots, the podcast where we watch not just the first episode of a show, but also the second. Some shows don't have the best pilot episode. I gave you that second chance. Might just change your mind. Here at Copilots, we take that chance for you and let you know our opinion. And if a show deserves more than one shot. I'm Justice. Alongside me is my co-pilot, Josh. Now, let's get ready for takeoff. Your in-flight entertainment this time will be Prehistoric Planet. So a little behind the curtains, up here in the cockpit talk real fast. Justice and I tried this show about a year ago. But it turns out the plot structure doesn't exist. Yeah, it's kind of hard to review just a documentary. It's not even just a documentary. It's like Dinosaur Facts the Show. Yeah, yeah, it is. So that's why we brought on a guest pilot, a co-pilot. He's our resident dinosaur expert. Everybody say hello to Chris. Chris has been on before. That's right. It's me. I'm back here in my bubble gunner seat in the bottom of this plane that the co-pilots fly. And this time, he's not reviewing vampires or incest anime. This time, I'm reviewing Apple TV Plus original docuseries. Yeah, which, um, first of all, I didn't know we had a gunner station on this plane. Oh yeah, I installed it about four years ago. We didn't even own the plane then. Yep, I know. It's Is really that fun. why it was such a steal? They did. They really did not want a gunner seat on the plane. Oh, huh. okay. I mean... They don't know I did it, so... <laughs> Fair enough. So, might as well get into it. Episode one. Does this show have names for its episodes beyond, yeah. like, just no, episode one's general co- vibe of what they're talking about? No, it does, because the name of each episode actually fits into the premise, right? Okay. Yeah. So, this docuseries is about dinosaurs, right? All CG, but narrated by David Attenborough. I had him and Hans Zimmer's confused my brain, who did the soundtrack, and I almost said Hans Attenborough, and I was like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> that is not correct. But no, it is. Uh, it takes place 66 million years ago, so a million years before like the end of the dinosaurs, and about 65.9 million years before the Earth was created. <laughs> Shut the fuck. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. Oh my god, the dinosaur bones are put into the ground by the devil to test us. You see, and I'm failing that test because I love dinosaurs. <laughs> Hook, line, and sinker. Devil got him one with that one. Hundred percent. Yeah. No, but uh, each episode takes place in a different part of the planet during the same time. See, we call those biomes. Yeah. And like in Minecraft. Mm-hmm. Minecraft's not real either. Just like dinosaurs, it does make sense. The devil also made Minecraft. Then, right? That's like the only logical conclusion there. Incorrect. Hatsune Miku made Minecraft. She's the devil. I would buy that. Bum, bum, bum. Why do you think there are so many people who are like obsessed with the iconography of Hatsune Miku? Okay, They're driven guys. by their actual obsession of the devil. They just haven't realized it because the devil's lying to them. Okay, guys, this is actually the soft pilot for our like new like occult podcast. And we're going to deep dive the satanic iconography of Hatsune Miku. So the really important point here, though, is all the satanic imagery, even like Hatsune Miku, the like traditional Christian devil, they're all from a space entity called the 
Beast. Yep. Oh my god, no. No. Not the soft launch of our Doctor Who fan podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Could be. But episode one is called Coasts because it takes place on different parts of the world on coastlines. In the coastal bio. That's a boring name for the episode. Yeah, all the episodes names are boring. The next one's called Deserts. And then I think there's an episode called Forests. Wow, and you suggested this show with such boring titles? In his defense, the last show we reviewed didn't even have episode titles. I respect that more than an uncreative title. And when I say last episode we reviewed, I'm talking about in the actual chronological timeline, not in the release order timeline. Apologies, listeners. I love that whenever I'm on an episode, the listeners can't help at least a little bit of how the sausage gets made. <laughs> I said I specifically was going to avoid that this appearance, and Josh is like, okay, so we record these out of order and then sit on them sometimes. No, we don't. No, that never, never happens. <laughs> You have no proof. We typically record them the night before, edit them in like a marathon sprint the day of, and hope we finish before midnight so we can post them. It usually works out. That's how it normally works. Heck yeah. But episode one opens on what might be the single most like, okay, actually it opens up on David Attenborough explaining the concept of dinosaurs. It actually opens on an old man just talking about dinosaurs, asking us questions about dinosaurs, implying that they actually existed. I don't appreciate that as a young earth creationist. I apologize. But the old man is David Attenborough. I just did not recognize his face. His face is not the iconic part. Honestly, though, I understand being insulted by the fact that he's implying dinosaurs ever existed. I get that. You have weird beliefs. I think it's more atrocious that at no point in either of these two episodes do we see the actual truth, which is humans living alongside dinosaurs. I'm really offended that it's dinosaurs and, like, we're not actually, like, taking the actual scientific approach and realizing that these were dragons. Yeah. Oh, my god! <laughs> this is just, like, a gut punch, gut punch, gut punch of, like, all the best dinosaur theories. I- they're not theories. They're facts. Fair enough. Fair enough. I was stun locked for a second. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I noticed your face just went blank. You're like, how the fuck do I respond to the stupidity? I can't. You got me by the balls. But yeah, then we open on the CG T-Rex. Yes. Which, let's be honest here, the CG throughout this entire show looks fantastic. Honestly, at some points, I'm convinced it's not CG. Specifically, like, in episode two, the termites in the log. I'm, I'm like, yeah. look, I think that's just actual termite footage. Actually, I'm pretty sure David Attenborough, with all of his narration money, just created Jurassic Park, and mm. they're filming it, and it's all just a lie saying it's CG. Huh, okay, okay. Um, can I go there? Yeah, sure. Sick! I can go see the nine-foot-tall pterosaurs whose vocalizations, like, actually creep me out. <laughs> we'll get to those in a second, though. But also, this opening shot kind of highlights what I, like, like about the series, which is because, obviously, it's not quote-unquote real nature, like, there's no cameras, we can't go out and record dinosaurs, everything you see see a cgi dinosaur doing in the show a paleontologist had to like show with like evidence hey this is how it would act and why right everything including including neck bubbles so ready and we'll get to the first episode is a really good example of things that are kind of like fairly rock solid right we have lots of false evidence backing it and that kind of thing understandable yeah and also lots of modern day animals that fill the same niche in our world behaving the same way right i'll get to that like in the episode when it comes up because dinosaurs existed on a different world than our world and evolution (laughs) likes to play its its greatest hits over and over it's why everything becomes a crap yeah right however the episode two we get to see some like 
like really, really speculative stuff. A lot of conjecture in episode two. Now, you said that was one of your favorite things there. One of my favorite things, actually, about the way the fact that because this is a CGI documentary series is the fact that all of the camera angles we work with are actually really cinematic and very nice. I think you will never get in another nature documentary because they control the camera angle here. I think the Apple TV Plus programs are known for good camera work, but like what Justice just said, since they are controlling every aspect of this, it lends it very well. Like, we were watching it, but spoiler alert, we were watching it together, and at one point, Justice was like, man, I bet you would really like to see this on a big screen, huh? And I'm like, there were theater showings. I couldn't make it. I was very upset. <laughs> but yeah, we open on Tyrannosaurus Rex. Swim As David Edinburgh war. explains to us, the largest predator. Yep, oh, right. largest land predator, my bad. Yes, yeah, because we are on the, the big inland North American sea with a young male T-Rex and his clutch of babies because a one-two punch of like, hey, watch, here's some dino facts. Uh, like in the show, dinosaurs had largely very light hollow bone structures, which led to T-Rex being an excellent swimmer. And T-Rexes reared their young for a non-zero amount of time, including the males. So this is a male tyrannosaur with his babies that he cares for. Yup. And they are swimming to an off-coast island in the search for food. But they are being hunted by a mosasaur. Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mosasaurs are big. Like, big, big. Two times the size of a T-Rex big. Mosasaurs are the largest predators to ever grace this planet. Yeah, Here. when they say there's always a bigger fish, they're referring to the mosasaur and there's nothing bigger than that. No, that, that is the cap. No bigger fish. Also, nope. fun fact, they are not fish, they are reptiles. Yeah. But specifically, they are big lizards. Mosasaurs. Yes. Have modern descendants, which are just like lizards. Yes, and, and, and they specifically they are air breathers. Yep. Even though they spend all of their time in water. Yep. You say that like it's weird. I mean, whales exist, porpoises exist. And that will come up later because of the niche that these large marine uh, lizards fill. But baby T-Rexes are swimming behind dad. One kind of struggles behind. The very, very excellent Hans Zimmer's... Zimmer's? Zimmer. Thank you. Zimmer uh, sw- uh, score swells. And it gives you that very Tasm 2 soundtrack. Like, it goes... <laughs> burn. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows the most famous soundtrack that he worked on, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yep. But then the Mosasaur gobbles up a baby T-Rex. Om nom 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 nom. But the other four baby T-Rexes and the T-Rex father all make it ashore safely. We also learn here, thanks to David Attenborough's narration, that typically two-thirds of a T-Rex's brood of 15 die within the first year. Yep, a bunch of dinosaurs do the reptile thing. Where yeah. it's like, I'm gonna have a bunch of babies. That way, maybe like three. Three will survive, yeah. <laughs> maybe like three. Yeah, which is, again, reinforced as an idea of generally just reptiles in general when we get there, because there's a giant sea turtle carcass that apparently the T-Rex melt, which is why it led his brood here. And we'll see hatching sea turtles, giant sea turtles in a moment. And we see a function of them because sea turtles also just throw all of them at the wall, see what sticks. Well, it's because the sea turtle method of reproduction is very inventive. You see, they have their babies, which need to be in water, on the beach, dozens of feet away from the water. And then these baby turtles, who are mostly blind, have to make their way to the ocean while a bunch of predators stand over them and try to eat them. This is the way of the sea turtle. That said... Did you know sea turtles primarily hatch at night because they use the moon to navigate themselves to the ocean? I feel like sea turtles, you've heard the phrase for like tying knots, right? If you don't know knots, just make lots, right? Yeah. Uh, Sea turtles follow that for like having babies. If you don't know a safe way to actually lay your eggs, have lots. Yeah. I'm just amazed that at no point during the evolution of turtles did did they ever evolutionarily select 
for laying eggs in the water. If it ain't broke, you're still around. Ain't broke. Enough of them survive. It doesn't matter. It's pretty broke in the modern day. Ain't broke. Don't fix it. That's why they're endangered. That's our fault. Yeah, but we're reinforcing their habits by sectioning off sections of beach, being like, "Hey, don't go here. There's sea turtle eggs." So we're giving them even more reasons not to evolve. Yeah, but after a uh, Papa T Rex flips the dead sea turtle carcass over, it's a two-ton sea turtle. Yeah, Huge. And the family of uh, Protostegidae, which I think it's how you pronounce it, which also includes like modern like leatherback sea turtles and stuff. This show does a good job at like various genuses and clades that are kind of like contested or have like numerous species that are functionally identical and that kind of thing they kind of just like refer to them as like the mosasaur that attacks the baby t-rex is just called a mosasaur yeah here later on in the show there are then there are two that actually get named further on in the yeah. episode yeah but uh for now I kai think kai falu kai kai falu indeed and it's the best name like let's be clear it's not going to be too weird for the average viewer when they're just naming the genus because that's what you know most dinosaurs by like you know it as a tyrannosaurus but it's technically a tyrannosaurus rex you have other tyrannosauri you have the tyrannosaurus tarbos tarbos tarbosaurus tarbosaurus yeah like you have a bunch of these and you generally just know the genus name yeah but we go now from the big inland sea of north america well after the dad gets the big turtle and refuses to share it with his children he's a jerk he's he's a dick yeah tiny t-rex do that thing that happened to baby turtles they eat the baby turtles because baby sea turtles are really bad at living. Yeah, the baby T-Rex are getting kind of big, starting to lose that downy fluff along their tail and things. And dad's like, I'm eating the big one. You two need to, you guys need to learn how to like do your own stuff. Go find other turtles. They're literally popping out of the ground all around us. Shouldn't be hard. Yeah, there's a lot of them scrambling about, seeming slightly confused by the sea turtles and then eventually eating them. Now we got to talk about your nine foot birds. Hell yeah. So we cut to Northern Africa where we see a whole bunch of species of pterosaurs, the flying reptiles specifically some very pelican looking bitches yeah those are the tethy draco the ones that nest on the ground that look kind of like pelicans except their big beak is like is all keratin as opposed to like flesh because they're preserved with their big beaks right and they're very densely packed on the ground kind of how penguins nest because we found like their nest clutches and stuff yeah and but walking amongst them is a nine foot tall pterosaur called phosphoto draco that is just like walking around making big creepy noises with its dumb dead bird eyes just like looking for like the instant a baby is three inches away from its mother so it can gobble it up yeah i will attempt to recreate the sound and put it back in later i was gonna say justice could you i'll attempt to do it later use your dead bird eyes and vocalization for yeah also go to nine feet in height yeah i'll do it later beautiful beautiful. put it in (laughs) perfect thank you so much as long as it records well glad that we're layering the cannon because <laughs> not only can justice just make mouth sounds now but he can also grow to nine feet tall and has dead bird eyes and the plane has a gunner bubble yeah <laughs> I think they can start the gunner bubble without me knowing because they're terrified of me becoming more bird-like and then attacking the plane. Exactly. In case he gets too strong. But <laughs> a few hundred yards off this uh, shore are these like sheer cliff faces. And on top of these cliffs and on the sides of these cliffs and crags, a different species of pterosaur called Alcyone yep. has laid its uh, leathery eggs. They have to pack wet seaweed ends. So they don't dry out. Yeah. And all those babies, sea turtle style, are all starting to hatch in mass and are climbing up the sheer cliff face to get to the top of these like rock columns yeah instead of heading towards the sea they head up it's not even like they're all hatching simultaneously like turtles because turtles do mostly hatch all at the same time yes like this is different clutches of eggs from different pterosaurs alcyone 
yeah. from dis- different Alcyone all hatching at the same time because apparently once one starts hatching, they like make noises they start chirping to and let the others noise. know that they're yeah. hatching. And then everybody's like, oh, time to hatch. Also, I think the baby Alcyone, because like this show does a good job of like taking going out into the physical world, like splashing in water, moving around vegetation, yes. and then like putting the CG dinosaur in there. The baby Alcyone breaking out of its like weird seaweed nest, I think is the worst shot in the first two episodes. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Speaking of weird eggs though, and I know this is going to be terrible content for audio listeners. Have you guys ever seen shark eggs? Yeah. Yes. Like the, the spirals and like mermaid purses and like- Honestly, they look like sea pine cones. Uh, shark eggs do not look like eggs. They come in a bunch of different shapes. Like, have you seen like yeah, yeah, one yeah. of mermaid's purse? Like a mermaid's purse. Those are a different shark egg. And there's also ones like this? Mer- that's a mermaid's purse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Audio listeners, like, I pointed excitedly at Josh's phone. You, you couldn't see it, but I want you to know I was very excited to see the exact egg shape that I referred to. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about pterosaurs, yeah. not sharks. Josh intuitively knew the exact egg type I was talking about. That's very impressive. Josh is very because to eggs. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I like sharks a lot. He said, yep. no, it's not sharks, it's eggs. He's an no, egg No, it's about boy. sharks, man. It's an egg boy. But, so, the Alcione, in my opinion, the best part about it is the way it walks when on land, because <laughs> its wings <laughs> yeah. are such an odd structure to how we think of most wings. That, because they're fingers. Yes. But it turns into a basically two right angles at a point. Like so our, it, like, like our fingers can. Mm-hmm. So it's just a giant square that they're walking around on, and it's fantastic. Also, they're teeny tiny little babies. Yes, they're itty bibby. They're so, all fluffy. So once they all get to the top of the cliff, hundreds. They, they have so to. Many. They have to take time to let their bones form and lock up because they're not like solid bone yet. Yes, their bones are incredibly hollow. The pterosaur bones are like ninety percent hollow by volume. Yep. Like so, they're just like waiting for the last bit of calcium to harden up with their fingies and their tiny little bitty bodies until yeah. and they're doing like little test jumps and flapping their wings and very cute some of them falling in their face because Oofy. you gave animators the instructions to make a fuck ton of things you're gonna see some just falling in the background and being weird because why the fuck not it's honestly beautiful until finally one brave brave little baby hurls itself off of the cliff but it does it too early its wings aren't ready and it dive bombs itself right into the sea and dies incorrect the, <laughs> the baby's dying will come shortly to be fair that would have yep. been better uh, but honestly it's quite easy for them to fly because they are so tiny and, and so light and there are sea winds yep because you're on a cliff on the edge of a sea that you have a giant beneficial updraft that'll help you fly so they go and throw mm. themselves into the air and begin to towards the beach but above another cliff there's thick coniferous forest yep and that's where these guys need to live for like the first five years of yep. their life mind you we do see the one that initially jumped we follow them basically with their camera and they crash landed into the beach apparently crash landing is not uncommon for them Wrong. Yeah. so before we get to the crash land there's a a big pterosaur with a big yeah. horn on its head. Barbaridactylus. Yeah. Barbaridactylus is also known as the thunder dinosaur because it can make lightning appear yeah. from the sky with so its, its horn. So its horn splits into two to be a bident, which then it uses to attract the positive ions of the lightning and call it down, where it then laces through the horn, and because of the natural structure of it, it works as a naturally occurring Jacob's Ladder, which they can then use to increase the voltage of the lightning, and then they redirect it at their enemies. Basically, real-life Pokemon. There is fossil evidence for this. Yep. <laughs> They had large amounts of iron deposit in the horn, despite the fact that the majority of their bones were 90% hollow. For most pterosaurs, we found that 
The Barbicodolus has like a 97% hollow bone to account for the iron supplements in the horn. This is all accurate, right, Chris? Oh my god. It's like, at first, I was going to stop you and be like, well, actually, like, Brontosaurus means thunder lizard. And then like, I was like, oh no, they're bringing out that this thing's dumb fuck head crest can, like, shoot lightning. <laughs> it's the bit from the show. And yeah. Like, <laughs> see, see, he said it's a bit from the show. It happens in the show, just like he said. <laughs> I'm sorry, no, it was just the bit that they, they said while the show was occurring. Um, no, tons of pterosaurs had really weird fucked up head crests. We assume for, like, mating purposes because a ton of them have like marked sexual dimorphism and, and you know that makes sense mating purposes makes complete sense but so does summoning lightning to use as aid in catching prey i mean honestly why not both another another male tries to invade in on your territory and if they're unsuspecting you hit them with lightning i say unsuspecting because otherwise they can catch it with theirs and then jake and, then you have, it and fire back yeah and you have a boom, boom, large boom, boom, lightning boom, battle back and forth then, then it's, it's like very the, much harry potter uh, goblet of fire oh, just, like battling back and forth with a patronus and and a uh, death queer. I was I was thinking more like Budokai Tenkaichi when you like throw an energy blast and then like they hit it back and it gets more powerful and then you hit it back and it gets more powerful. I mean that's effectively what it is because you have a more violent surge at the front end of the lightning. The thing is though because that's lightning and it's branching and it moves so quickly mm. it starts to look very consistent. There is something that we kind of glossed over when the Alcyone first jumps off the cliff that I want to bring up yeah. which is the music in that scene is fantastic. It's amazing to the point while, while Justice was watching it he was like God damn. And that was the moment I revealed to him that it was Hans Zimmer. And Justice was like, oh, yeah, it checks out. Yeah. It, yeah. it would have been obvious in the next scene when mm-hmm. the Barb... Uh, Barbary It would very obvious if we waited for that scene and it summons the lightning. Like, yeah. you, you would really recognize it from the Tazzle You literally too. get the exact same, like, synth beats for it. Electro! Electro dinosaur! Yeah, but the Barbaridactylus, like, chases down our first baby midair yeah. and, and gobbles it up yeah, yeah. deliciously. For some reason, I thought there was one, like, right behind it. Uh, oh, there is. And then we cut from that to a baby crash landing on the beach. Yeah. And Mr. Attenborough is like, you know, these things are so light that them truly crashing is actually pretty rare. Mm-hmm. But it happens. And then the big fucked up tall bird comes up and gobbles that one down. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't have a mother or a colony protecting it. No, it is just yeah. kind of like sea turtles. They have a bunch of babies, throw them at the wall, see what sticks. But a vast majority do make it to the coniferous forest. To be fair, they- in this case, you don't want them to hit the wall and stick? Correct, correct. You do not want... Most of them hit the trees. They don't stick. They land safely. We will then spend the next five years of their life getting bigger until they can migrate out to the open sea to catch fishies. <laughs> so we go from the flybird dinosaurs back to the water, where we are introduced to some dinosaurs that are proto Loch Ness monster. We're going to call it Nessie, and I guess what's what's Nessie's daughter's name? Okay, so here, but here's the important thing to, to note, though, right? Is that I don't think Tarungosaurs hmm, are plesiosaur, which is what Nessie is specifically theorized to be. Yeah, I think I could because be wrong, because though. plesiosaurs are freshwater versions of Tarungosaurs. No, I. I think I think it's a square rectangle thing, but I could be wrong. No idea. But so we see the Tyrannosaurus and its calf, you know, swimming about. And they're swimming to this beach area, which has a, a waterfall. Bay, yeah. 
Yeah. This is like one of the actual fossil evidence really cool thing, which is so everyone knows the fun fact that like the birds are dinosaurs, right? Yeah. So dinosaurs organ structures are also very similar to birds, meaning they have gizzards where they keep rocks that yep. mashes up their food, right? A bunch of them. Not yeah. Them. They're in search for gastrolytus, which yeah. is what you call a rock that you then use as a gizzard. Yeah. For and stone. the cool part is, is we find tyrannosaur fossils all over the world, right? Because of the, for a large chunk of time, it was a bunch of oceans, right? Yeah. But those gastrolytes, we find fossilized in their gut. Right, all the soft tissues there. We got, there's a pile of rocks where the gizzard was. Those rocks are all traced back to like three or four beaches on the planet. Meaning these animals migrated to these areas to get their gas. Yeah, they were. They had vast migration patterns. Specifically because, as Attenborough describes to us, they need rocks that have been rounded down by river waters. Yeah, because uh, weirdly you don't get that in the ocean. And they, they're seawater animals. Yes. Yep. So they need stones from freshwater sources. So they're, they're looking for like waterfalls or river outlets where these rocks would wash down. That's a very rare feature, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. But also during this time where they're searching for new gastroliths, because it's such a migratory hotspot for all of them, the mother of the calf is also looking to mate again it's because looking, it is a- It's looking to fuck- yeah. Yes. And that's kind of inferred just from like modern migratory species. Yeah, there. it makes Normal- sense. Normally when they go there to the place we're all going to go, the fucking just happens. Yeah, because it's the place with the highest amount of genetic diversity, which is something we often see animals searching for in nature. Yeah. Also, these guys have long necks and sharp teeth to catch fish. Yes. Yeah, they're basically Loch Ness monsters. Yeah, exactly. And then from the Tyrannosaurus, we drift to the ocean. Tropics. To a mosasaur. Hammond's mm. mosasaur, well, to be no. exact. Between Tyrannosaurus and the mosasaur, we do have a brief, like, 90-second segment where Adam Burrow's like, man, because of how much oceans were around this yeah. time, they were so nutrient-dense, shit was wild. So much so coral, coral. anemone and such. Because the water level was higher due to uh being outside of an ice age, yes. areas of land that would typically be islands were actually underwater. Yep. Just dumping that nutrients into the ocean. And they were islands that were islands in the previous ice age. So they were full of nutrients and these areas became hotbeds for corals and sponges and anemones. Yes. And fishies. That's why we get the mosasaur because the mosasaur yep. is coming to one of these. Because that is a deep water animal. Because the mosasaur is coming to eat some tiny fishies. But that's a fake out. Attenborough was leading us to believe that the mosasaur is coming to eat tiny fishies. Instead, he's coming to visit the tiny fishy free dentistry where they crawl in its mouth and clean its teeth and then... Also, there's mosasaur. He's going for a full body scrub, man. Because mm-hmm. yeah, they, they are they're reptiles. They're shedding skin. It's mm-hmm. mating season, so he's getting a, a, some bright scales going on. So all yep. the little cleaner shrimp and cleaner fish are picking off parasites and dead skin and in his mouth and shit. Kind of like what happens to large marine animals today. Yeah. It, it's a spa day. Exactly. He's feeling good. And he's looking good. But then but a younger. Mm. <laughs> his relaxation is interrupted by another mosasaur. A younger, bolder mosasaur who wants the free dentist that is available to this older mosasaur. Why do the older generations always get more? By God, that's a young mosasaur's music. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that would get Josh. I knew the wrestling. Mosasaurs fight, but mosasaurs, as we mentioned earlier, air breathers. They can't breathe underwater. Big, dumb reptiles. So even though the even though the younger mosasaur is stronger, the older mosasaur gets the advantage when he goes up, takes a big breath, and then grapples the younger one down to the bottom of the ocean. Yep. Well, not necessarily the bottom, just down off the... Well, I mean, kind of the bottom. Like, they're, they're, they're right there, like, kind of the bottom. Um, because he's going to try to drown the younger Mosasaur. Yes. But the younger Mosasaur escapes, and the older Mosasaur gets to maintain his free health care. 
Yeah. Also, there's like really cool shots of just like the older Mosasaurus sticking his head. Like he's in the shallow part, like kind of resting there, and it's uh, his head sticking out of the water. And it looks like a dog when a dog looks really satisfied because like all these fish are eating his dead skin. It's just like 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 Attenborough's narration, how they have this animal looking. They're like really selling that this thing's on a fucking spa day and is like feeling his best. Yeah. But then from here we go to the best thing we will talk about because it proves Pokemon are real. We go see <laughs> Omni-Night. But before we get to the Omni-Night, I do want to just mention how the struggle between the younger Mosasaur and the older Mosasaur is a really like potent analogy for modern healthcare in America. Yeah, it really is. Where the younger generation are struggling to get free healthcare and like, implemented and like trying to get these healthcare implementations. And so much of it's tied to their job or their territory, but they can't get these things because the older generation is hogging them and not letting the younger generation in to receive the things they need to help them survive and thrive. I like the older Mosasaur because he was blue and red. (laughs) (laughs) And what were you saying about Pokemon Justice? Oh, we just got to go see Ammonite. You know, the fossil type Pokemon. All hell the Helix. Exactly. Water and rock? You're telling me right yeah, now? Yeah, baby. <laughs> and then it'll evolve into an Aerodactyl. No. What? What? Aerodactyl. I, I said ha- the wrong one. Aerodactyl <laughs> has no evolution. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I was thinking it turns into the Kabutops. No. Uh, Which one does the... So Kabuto becomes Kabutops. Ammonite becomes Amastar, and Aerodactyl is a singular. Uh, it's just I don't. Uh, I no, don't Aerodactyl really care becomes Mega Aerodactyl. It's Mega. Uh, that, that's not an evolution. It's a Mega evolution. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still <laughs> evolution is in its name. No, it's not. It's specifically a mechanical term. They refer to as separate mechanics. Cool, but it's called mega evolution. Evolution is in its name, so it does evolve. Oh, God It's just damn, a temporary this evolution. Re- this is a rectangle square thing, isn't it? Exactly. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, we get a bunch of ammonites which glow in the, in the sea. They typically glow to attract plankton to them so they can nom them. Well, they glow in the sea when the moon is low. Also, ammonites are kind of like the weird proto-ancestor to most, like, cuttlefish, squid. Yep, they're um, a cephalopod. Not a loid. And that brings us to why they're all glowing so close to the surface, and that's because it's time for an orgy. Yeah. They're spawning. They're just shooting their loads into the water. And this is why it's important that we mention that they're cephalopods, because when cephalopods typically mate, they die. So these things are just gooshing and dying in mass and washing up on the shoreline. Yep. So then we cut back to the Loch Ness monster-like dinosaurs. I forget the names of. Tarungosaurs. Tarungosaurs. Yep. And there's a herd of them, and they're a looking... F- yeah, pod. A pod. A pod of them, and they're looking for shoals of fish which gather at this time of year so that they can gnaw on some fish. But one one of them's moving kind of slowly. And its calf is sticking back with it. Yep. It's having a hard time keeping up with the pod. What's going on? And then, and then- a mosasaur. Specifically... Kai Kai Falu. A much smaller and faster Mosasaur than the other two we've seen this episode. <laughs> it appears out of the deep darkness of the ocean, and it spots its prey. And it goes after the mother, and the mother dives deep down in the ocean to try to get away. Well, the, the calf- sun distracts it. Well, the calf, yes. Yeah, the calf distracts it, attacking the Mosasaur and circling it. And All to buy time. Till the rest of the herd could show up, and they could, like, 6v1 this Mosasaur. Also, this is the part with the best instrumentation throughout the entire episode. It's really like, good. The, all the music, all the music's great, but this is by far the best music. I and like it, the Alcione scene music more. Honestly, you're wrong. the use of strings during this part to add tension as we're waiting works really, really well. And then we have these big swelling moments as the Mosasaur almost claims its prize. Honestly, this calf is just kiting the Kai Kai Falu mm-hmm. so that it can draw in its teammates to get a to get a pentakill. Yeah. 
like all the the paleontologists that were like consulted for the show and everything you can go online they were very extensive on the decisions they've made and that kind of thing uh but the one decision they have not talked about that i am really curious like wait on it is all the dinosaurs in this show have names that are really fun to say kai kai falu like oh, out of, of all the all the species all they could have picked they picked ones that are just like oh, that one rolls off the tongue that one feels fun to say <laughs> look kai kai falu is the best name in these two episodes like yeah, Kai Kai Fulu is 100% there. But then we also find out why the mother was lagging behind so badly. And it's because it was giving birth. Well, it was pregnant yeah. and now it's giving birth. And It's time. It's time for, for the mom to have the world's largest baby. One of the biggest babies. 10 feet long even. Time. Yep, about half its size. You know, and life finds a way. And that's how episode one coasts comes to an end. It just coasts to an end. So Justice, what did you think about the first episode, Coasts? It had really, really good music and good film and cinematography work, which is to be expected, like I said, since they can control the camera angle so much. Other than that, it talked about dinosaur facts, I guess. I could have read a book. Oh, my God. I was was vibing so hard. Then you were like, bam, right at the end. No, it is very enjoyable, and it's a nice way to learn more about dinosaurs, especially if you are very interested in them or you are vaguely interested in them and you don't want to take the time to read a book or more scientifically accurate documentation, which is generally very, very dense. Or if you just like nature documentaries. Uh, Josh, how about you? So I really liked the parts where we learned that Pokemon existed. Not just Ammonite, but like birds that could summon electricity. Like... (laughs) Fucking Zapdos. Honestly, where do you think the like stories about like Kazakotl come from? Thunderbirds. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like they had to, the origins had to be somewhere. Now we know where. And the reason why the story was able to spread so easily because as we talked about at the beginning of the episode, despite what this show decides to propagate its fake history, humans did live alongside dinosaurs. No, if I'm actually going to be like a hundred percent upfront and not be facetious, and this is going to sound like an insult, I promise you, it's not. The best part of this show is the combination of Adam Burrow's voice and Hans Zimmer's music in such a way it's really that great. I could really just nap to this. Yeah. The entire time we're watching this show, it's dark. We're kind of relaxing. The couch is very comfortable. And the wonderful co-pilots were constantly battling the sleepy EPs because of the beautiful score and very soft, soft David Attenborough narration. The soft lighting, they didn't stand a chance. <laughs> Honestly, such good nap-worthy show. Like any high-quality nature documentary. But also, Thunderbirds. God damn. Well, exactly. Chris, what about you? What did you think of the dinosaur show that you brought us to watch? One, I think if if people didn't watch this when it first came out like a year ago, they were sleeping on it big time. No, when the show was announced, it's everything that I wanted to be and more. My favorite part of the first episode actually really is like the Alcione like music yeah. thing, it throwing itself off the musical swell. My least favorite thing is also from that exact same scene because like <laughs> I cannot emphasize this show is beautiful, except when that dumb fuck bird comes out of its nest and it looks like dog shit. <laughs> like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> it's like, even when the show first premiered, listener, I've I've seen the show before. When the show first premiered, I was like, ugh. <laughs> Took me out of it. Yeah. I was a big fan of the um, Mosasaur Spade scene. This show was one of the deciding factors in me buying a 4K TV back in the day. Like, they announced it was coming out. Understandable. I wanted this and a PS5, and I was like, man, time for a 4K TV. <laughs> okay, so I think that brings us to episode two, Desserts. Mm. Deserts, bud. Oh, I, I typed yeah. an extra S. Cake. Yeah, so, I, you know, the first episode, all kinds of water. So much fucking water. Episode two, 
No None. Water, no water at all. No. I mean, there's some water. And you guys even know you're being ironic. Speaking about thunder lizards, episode two opens up with some big old sauropod long-necked dinosaurs. Yeah, but they're not brontosaurus. Yeah, they're not. They're, they're titanosaurus. Titanosaurus? They are titanosaurus. Titanosaurus. From the genus Dreadnoughtus. Backwards. They are yeah. Dreadnoughtus that are titanosaurus. Yes. Uh, Dreadnoughtus is the best dinosaur species name ever. I know I just said that about Kai Kai Flu, but... Uh, Kai Kai Flu is the most fun to say. Sauropods always get the coolest name. Yeah, they really do. Because it's just like, you get a giant big creature, you're going to want to give it a cool name. Like, how do you... How, what name do you give an animal that is so large that at a certain point it had no natural predator, so it literally wasn't afraid of anything? Which is what this first sequence is trying... So the two big takeaways from this first sequence, right... These big, big, huge, the large, one of the largest animals to ever live are walking across desert, really nasty desert South America. Yes. Because at this time in Earth's history, there was almost no vegetation there. And they're leaving their forests of Central America down to South America to mate. Yes. And it also wants us to be aware that the desert, much like modern day deserts, very, very hard to survive in still. And there's not a lot of species that'll do it, which is to impress upon us how hardy the Dreadnoughtus was. Specifically, though, Attenborough doesn't tell us they're doing this to mate. They're doing this because it's time for dinosaurs. Dinosaur Fight Club. Yes. That is true, because the males are going to fight and compete to show off strength for the females. Yes. Yeah. yeah they're... And part of their display is them walking around. In leather coats. <laughs> with, with, with grease-backed hair. And riding a motorcycle. Yes, because as Grease 2 has taught everyone, the only thing you actually need to do to get any significant other is to drive a motorcycle. It makes you better than everyone else. This is a true fact of life. Tunnel snakes rule. They don't have motorcycles. But they have switchblades. And not even the cone kind. T-birds beat them. T-birds have motorcycles, cars, all of it. To be fair, in the tunnel snakes defense, they have um, access to plasma weaponry. Yeah, but it's about looking tough. You don't actually need to back it up. Mm. Fair enough, fair enough. Mm. But and this is the single largest piece of speculation in this entire series. The knife hands? It is not the knife hands. Those are very, very well documented in the fossil record. No, it is they have, running down the length of the male's necks, they have gobular like, sacks that birds have that they fill with air going like, like making noise and they fill up like balloons, right? Mm-hmm. The showrunners did this like to kind of illustrate like dinosaur have, had, you know, they, they were skeletons covered in soft tissue that most of the time isn't preserved so dinosaurs can have wacky soft tissue structures that we will literally be unable to ever know about we'll yeah. never know yeah let's be clear here though the air sacs that they're explaining from their neck when i first saw them my mind went oh those look like boobos all of those dinosaurs have the plague they do look very booboish because they're kind of yeah. yellow, yellowy orange. Yeah. For clarification for people who don't know what a boobo is, it's literally the name given to like a pustule growth. It's not used a lot. I don't think a lot of people know the term, but Black Plague, the like weird bubbly pustule growths were called boobos. Growth. Yep. Sauropod necks where the bones inside are naturally kind of not as hollow as pterosaurs, but they're full, almost like spongy full of holes yeah. and pockets to keep them light. And also, dinosaurs, they're like dinosaurs, their respiratory system is more like that of modern birds. And while they have lungs, how air flows through a bird lung isn't like how it flows through our lungs. They're not like pure sacs, like bronchial tubes. It's like yeah. weird foldy things the air constantly folds through, which lends itself to things like inflatable sacs that various bird species have. Yeah, so these big sauropods are walking around showing off their stuff. Yeah, and the new group of dreadnoughtists are just arriving in town and... The singular dreadnoughtus that's been lead, like, he's been the king of the ring for the last two weeks straight. Got his leather jacket, his motorcycle, he's sitting tough. But a newcomer's come to challenge him for that title. And we're not sure how it's going to go, because the new one also has a leather jacket, but he also has a pompadour. And the new one's younger, too. Like, this guy's guy a grizzled vet. 
and to fight. They fight like giraffes. They just, like, you know, beat their neck against each other as hard as they can, kind of rear up on their hind legs and poke you with their thumbnail. Like This is where we find out that they have knives on their hands. Adam Burrow specifically calls them daggers. Yes. And the one thing we have to remember is nobody, nobody wins a knife fight. I thought the one thing we had to remember was that Edward Scissorhands was apparently a Dreadnoughtus. <laughs> no, but Dreadnoughtus and a, some other sauropods, their foot shape is like really weird. And we assume it was it was elephant-like where it was like like very column-like. But how their toes curled, there's like one thumbnail that sticks out real far. So we kind of assume maybe that was like sticking out beyond that. Like, yeah, get him. Yeah. Ah. Get, get him. Get him. Also, no one wants a land war in Asia. Yeah. yeah. 100%. 100%. But yeah, so the newcomer... Kicks the two-week champs, but he hits him with a knockout punch, according to David Attenborough. But that's a lie, because he dies. It's not a knockout. It's a, it's a kill yeah. shot. We see time pass. All the other Dreadnoughtists leave, and this one's still just laying there. On the ground. Yep. Dead. D-E-D. And then we shift focus to a tiny lizard. And it cuts for like, look, the, like, you have to be really tiny to survive in a desert, but you can still find bountiful things, like, and it cuts to, like, a two-week time skip, and it's just the rotting carcass of the, of the Dreadnoughtus that we just saw die, but it's not, it's a carcass. And I'm like, dude, don't do my homie dirty like that, we watched him die. Dude was, like, an undefeated champ for two weeks. Gotta show respect for the dead, like, man... But then we're also shown Tarbosaurus. Yeah, a uh, Tyrannosaur, native South America. They don't get as big, but there's like less resources in the desert. And they're shown together. And they're also shown with, coincidentally, another quote unquote pack hunting dinosaur. Yes. Velociraptor. Well, however, I would like to point out that I think Attenborough just said the name wrong because it's not Tarbosaur, obviously. It's a Turbosaur because they run so fast after they curl up into a tiny ball. Wee, wee, spin dash, spin yeah. dash. No, we don't get the Velociraptor yet because we follow this little lizard as it tries to go over to the carcass and, and eat some flies, but there's none to be found. So then it goes and gets really ballsy with it and goes to the Tarbosaurs who are covered in flies because they've been eating this dead flesh and like they smell like dead flesh now. And so this little lizard is like bouncing off of the head of this Tarbosaur trying to catch flies. Yes. And then the Velociraptors show up. To hunt the lizards. Yep. Because the lizard hunts the fly. The Velociraptor hunts the lizard. And then the Tarbosaur hunts the Velociraptor when the lizard... Running away from a Velociraptor, ducks underneath a Tarbosaur's sleeping body, and the Velociraptor runs headfirst into it. Yeah. Which wakes it up, making it run away. Look, I just appreciate this does break the propaganda portrayed by Jurassic Park. Velociraptors, not clever. There's like chicken-sized little feathery... With blades, yeah. Knife feet thing. Also, Velociraptors in Jurassic Park aren't aren't Velociraptors because they're like... Way too tall. They're technically Utah raptors, really funny because the the skeleton was found after production wrap, but like they pulled from the ground just like, oh, look, a like five and a half to six foot tall Velociraptor looking thing. Like, that's different from Deinonychus. Neat. Yep. Also, this scene kind of hints at something about how you know velociraptors hunt together right so they hunted together but with like more recent studies we can't call them true pack they hunt they hunted in pairs yeah not even pairs but they hunted in and they actually spoil their list and this gets heavily elaborated on the third episode but true pack and herd animals we will find their groups fossilized together because they live together right velociraptors are probably just intelligent enough to go hey we can work together and kill this thing and then split the spoils but if like things went south there were like no loyalty to each other and there was no like pecking order as in like in true packs right mm-hmm. uh, look they 
they planned this heist. They're willing to work together. But at the end of the day, you got to look out for number one. Spoiler alert. In the third episode, they're hunting this bird, right? Yeah. It gets stuck out of the sky. It's like way down this hill from the other two. And the one that grabs it's like, thanks, idiot. And like grabs it and just runs off. Yeah. Me, me too, though. <laughs> but Also as well. Just like me for real. So like I said, the tiny little lizard uses the Tarbosaur to get rid of the Velociraptors. And the tiny lizard runs away. Yep. And then the Lizzie boy doesn't get any foods because some pterosaurs show up to eat the remains of the dreadnoughtuses. Dreadnoughtus? Yeah. yeah. And then we shift to a Monoicus. Mononicus. Mononicus. The yeah. cutest fucking dinosaur yeah. to ever live. It's yes. A I want- dodo bird. Fused with a velociraptor. Fused, fused with, with an, an owl. owl. A barn owl. One, behind the scenes stuff, they obviously chose barn owls. And like the CG team was, they're very proud of Mononychus. I think you can get official BBC plushies. <laughs> I think you can get actually like, official plushies. Of, but it's just like, so Mononychus means one claw. Yes. They have like these big clawed arms. And they're just very, very cute. They're adorable. Yeah. And we follow this Mononychus as it uses its superior sense of hearing to find a fallen tree in the desert full of termites which it uses its one claw to scrape open the wood and then it uses its tongue which is twice the size of its head it's long prehensile tongue because across reptiles birds mammals normally when an animal has evolved a very large clawed digit it's always to dig bugs out of something right and then normally that organism also has a longer tongue eye eyes woodpeckers sugar like all these things sloth sloth eaters aardvarks all these things like they evolve these things so it's like, once again, there are things we can infer because evolution likes to play its greatest hits over and over and over. Yes. But there's a whole sequence of Mononychus hunting, digging yeah. around this termite thing, lamping up, get some termites on its face, has to shake them off. Mm-hmm. And then a desert storm comes in. Because. And, and America sh- shakes their dick around and it creates yeah. military intervention when none is necessary. Ladies yep. and gentlemen, we got them. No. Yeah. But so d- that's actually the end of the episode. America, the U.S. forces kill all the dinosaurs. And that's how America was established. When we say me- a meteor killed the dinosaur we what we really mean is a big missile yes this is all accurate to history right chris yeah because there are people alongside the dinosaurs exactly mm, yeah, they, you guys, see, you guys, why do you think we have pictures of them in, in like so, textbooks and things the only reason we can see them is because we have pictures and we have paintings that people made of them because they saw them somebody had to record this show so desert storm does roll in and with the gushing rainwaters it brings new vegetation and life to the desert just like our deserts now there are plants that stay seeds for years at a time waiting for rain rain happens they'll go (sighs) and grow very rapidly and this attracts a bunch of new prey animals for mononychus so mononychus is experiencing a desert it's never experienced before because these storms only happen every decade decade or so yeah and so mononychus not being that old is in an entirely new desert yes Um, now we the viewers go to a new desert Mongolia. I did it. Mongolia, yes. Where we encounter big dinos with duckbills called Barsbolia. Yep. And they are walking to a watering hole where... Because they're built for walking and not drinking water. <laughs> yes. And they can travel long distance from watering hole to watering hole where water naturally seeps up from the ground and you can drink your fill. Because they're yep. camels. Evolution. Plays. They're greatest hits. So yeah, they make their way to an oasis... And the Oasis brings together all the dinosaurs of the desert. Most importantly, though, it brings in, it is not named, you just see it there in an establishing spot, but it brings in the single best dinosaur to ever exist, Therizinosaurus, 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 Therizinosaurus. We also get our tiny little Mononychus making its way to this Oasis, and then... All these animals are drinking water, and the Tarbosaur comes up over the hill 
and we're led to believe it looks like it's about to attack, but... Attenborough likes to lead us to believe that the big predator are going to eat the non-predator animals, when really, they just want to chill. Attenborough just really likes to cuck people. Over and over again. No, but there's like, a, like in what this scene is illustrating is just like in modern watering yes. holes, a bunch of animals, because fucking everyone needs water, and they all understand it. What kind of, like, you see lions drinking next to zebras, yep. drinking next to crocodiles, like, shit needs water, there is an understanding... Because, Everyone's there to drink. Because even though it might be a very easy meal for a lion, what it will teach that pack of zebras or that pack of gazelle is that next time there's a lion here, we don't make room for him. We kick the shit out of him. Like, there, yep. there was one time uh, at home, at one point, Mongolian titanosaurs, they don't name the specific species, saunter up and use their long necks to reach everybody and start drinking. That tarper show or, like, starts trying to start shit. One of those things could stomp it to death. Like, it's just like you don't do it at the watering hole. Yeah. Like, like modern day elephants like elephant shows up yep. everyone's like cool 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 we're all chill we're all chill we're gonna stand like three feet away from you bare minimum we're not gonna fuck with you uh yeah like, enjoy the water all the dinosaurs do back off because the tarbosaur yep. does have don't fuck with me energy but the tarbosaur is also severely outnumbered yeah dinos drink the oasis all the way gone no more water yep and not even a single wonder wall <laughs> god damn it <laughs> <laughs> well, of course there's no Wonderwall, there's no more Oasis. <sighs> I'm gonna lie down, I'm gonna lie down. <laughs> that joke was too good. So uh, from there we go back to our Quetzalcoatl inspirations. More goddamn fucking sky lizard, babari, dactylus ass fucking- Because we're now in the canyons of Africa. Yes, and they particularly are dwelling on top of the plateaus in the area because there's no- two, 17 foot long wingspan. Yeah, they're normally dwelling on top of the plateaus because there's no terrestrial predators there. And they use the thermals that the canyons create to yep. glide long distances from plateau to the plateau. They also have the big head crest that let them summon lightning, just so we're all aware. Shut the fuck yep. up. But we we get to see a really cool sequence of, they're up there, there to get their bone on. Classic animal documentary. So many yep. episodes have sequences of all my animals getting their fucking bone on. And yeah. in this case, we're following two different male Brabac... Babari Dactylus. Babari well, First, we get to see one chase one around. Yes. And one that's like being chased, like, oh, takes a, t- a corner too tight and just eats shit on the ground. The thing yeah. you were joking about in the first episode yeah. happens to an adult pterosaur in the second one. It eats so much shit. It's awesome. So on the plateau, we're following two of these pterosaurs. One, a big masculine pterosaur with its crest and its collars and another pterosaur that is a male, but doesn't show the sexual dimorphism that is it typical of males. Happens in currently animals, and we have false records of that happening where it's like, hey, there's so much sexual dimorphism in pterosaurs. Every once in a while, it's like, oh, trans icon. Here we go. Female traits, huge donger. And so the, the big one is attempting to woo the females and the, the one that doesn't have, shows no sexual dimorphism is trying to hide among the females. At, at one point, they do, like, a comedic sequence, and, like, Hans Zimmer plays, like, comedic music, where big, strong male walks up to a female, does his show, she's like, fuck off. Because his, she is the trans icon. First, he gets spurned by a female sex, female dimorphism pterosaur, and then he it moves over, and, and everyone's like, he's seen him. And it, he's been spotted lock- again. Again, this is the cuck moment where he's like, yes. oh, this big pterosaur is going to fuck up this tiny pterosaur yep. because he very hurriedly walks over and it's like, hey, baby, how you doing? And the big pterosaur begins to put on a sexual display for our trans icon, yes. at which point she's like, um, 
Nah. No thanks. And also, and like, David Attenborough was like, they really have to sell it. They really have to sell it. And like, I promise the animators make these pterosaurs look sassy. And he kind of like, she kind of like looks over the big one and is like, mm, no thanks. And walks off. It's so good. And yes. the, the seduces a female pterosaur. Yes. And hell yeah, they do. And mounts it and then cuts away. Because yeah. David Attenborough will narrate every moment up to the actual sex. Oh my god, we were actually proving that David Attenborough's a cuck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't know that needed to be proven. I thought that was just a fact. <clears throat> bum, so, bum, bum. so that's the end of the pterosaurs. We jump to another desert in South America. Which, which is, is just covered in gypsum. No sand, gypsum. Like northern Argentina, it is so hot and so dry that like gypsum just doesn't dissolve. So it's like starch white sands of gypsum. And yes. here we encounter Hadrosaur Cernoceros. There we go. Hadrosaur Cernoceros. Yep, Cesternosaurus. Yep, Cesternosaurus, they are a hydrosaur. And yes. they are the most camely camel to ever camel. They're also the most scientifically involved of them, by which I mean because they are, of course, associated with CERN, Cesternosaurus, and... Oh my fucking God. Because they can clearly operate a hydron collider, hence hydrosaur. <laughs> they are capable of smashing atoms together to observe the very structure of our universe. I want you to know I imagine like a Tarbosaur chasing these things and it turns its dumb fuck hadges right towards it and you hear warm 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 boom and then like the Tarbosaur's just gone. What do you think caused this desert? Oh my fucking god. This is why it's so hot and the gypsum is so fine. This de- desert's currently experiencing a once in a decade style drought where Yes. Even like drive for a desert. And the high winds and the shifting dunes makes it almost impossible to navigate during the daytime. So the hadrosaurs travel by night, where they use the stars to navigate their course. Just like modern wildebeest, that kind of thing, the large Serengeti migrations of Africa, we have significant evidence these things migrated all over South America. Also, it's much less hot at night. Yes, it's yes. much, much less hot at night. And since we're fairly certain they migrated so much around the area, and we know deserts go through these cycles, we are fairly certain that they would use the stars to navigate, because we have many examples of other species doing that. Especially because, you know, shifting desert sands, like yeah. Josh brought up, yeah. And then the hydrosaurs actually manage to get close enough to the sea so that they can hear the sound of the sea breaking on the coast. And they use that to navigate themselves the rest of the way to actual beaches. With real sand. Because it's too moist, for, it's too moist yes. for gypsum. Gypsum, like the moment it gets touched by water, just stops existing. And the really cool part here for me, the part that like I, I was like, oh, that's cool as fuck, is when the hadrosaurs like get to the point where they're no longer in the gypsum desert and they're getting hit by the cooler air from the ocean but they're still got that desert heat in them and the water condenses on their skin. They just go like, mm, cool, and start licking themselves for water. Yep. <laughs> like, they're like, oh, shit, water. I've been waiting for that stuff. It's on me. Very convenient. Yum, 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 yum. Yep. Yeah, that's that's it. That's the end of episode two. Dessert. Mmm, delicious. So sweet. Mmm. Skin some water. That's skin water. Mmm, <laughs> skin water. Um, What'd you guys think about the second episode? It was just as good as the first episode. The music's still great. The cinematography is enjoyable. Science dinosaurs are cool. I, I don't know. I got less out of the second episode than the first one. Honestly, deserts didn't do it for me like coasts did. I do think this is the weakest episode in the first season. Fair like, enough. Like I said, it was still fine, but like I would agree. I think the first episode is stronger. The like dreadnought is walking, like like super iconic. Like just like that. That's like the money shot from the yeah. show. It's using the promotional material, that kind of thing. It's like like the money shot. It's like well, I would also use the Dreadnoughtus because like the CG of dinosaurs on motorcycles with leather jackets. <laughs> it's that, so fucking cool. It, 
It's very uh, good Pompadours work. and switchblades, hell yeah. But I have a more important question that I was going to ask at the start of the episode, but I think it'd be more appropriate here at the end. Um, Justice, Josh, what are your favorite dinosaurs? I haven't had a favorite dinosaur since I was like eight. That's lame. But I will revert to my eight-year-old answer and tell you Ankylosaur. Beautiful, beautiful choice. I, it, it's the same answer. <laughs> what, what a cop-out. Mine's Therizinosaurus. Therizinosauruses are cool. Ankylosauruses are just neat. They got mace tails, man. Therizinosaurus has like but also, a dumb turkey chicken body. It doesn't have a mace tail and natural armor. It's not nature's paladin. He's right. But also like not velociraptors, but the similar species that's like this big. Microraptors. Microraptors. Like, pygmies, basically. Like hunted in packs of like 12. Yeah, those things. Those things are fucking. There's also significant evidence to suggest they may have lived in trees. Wait, wow, wait I want to change my answer. I, I, are you telling me that they're drop dinosaurs? Kind of, sort of, yes. I want to change my answer. My favorite dinosaurs, the one that they made for like the more recent Jurassic Park movie, the dinosaur that's superior to all other dinosaurs, the they genetically made it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Indominus Rex? Yeah, Indominus Rex, yeah. That's what it is, yeah. It's superior yeah. to all other dinosaurs genetically because they did it. Yeah, it's, it sure is. It's definitely the best dinosaur because it's not real. Fake dinosaur. All dinosaurs are fake. We established at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> oh, G- got me on that one again. I keep walking. I keep handing <laughs> these to you on a silver platter. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Ankylosaurus is my favorite because it's just a mace-wielding dinosaur with armor, basically. Heck yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, like, you already said your favorite stuff. But I think that's going to be the end of the flight. We have some telling stuff to wrap up. But Chris, anybody want to follow you, re- contact you? I'm on the app formerly known as Twitter, KX, at BarryComic7. And I am also on Blue Sky. And yeah. I don't know the Blue Sky link by heart yet. Uh, <laughs> but I'm also BarryComic7 on the Blue Sky. Follow me there. Wonderful. When you get those Blue Sky links. I got you. I got you. Co-pilots with you, baby. Dope. For us, you can find us on the app formerly known as Twitter, now easily confused with Xfinity. Yeah. At Copilots Review. You can contact us by emailing us at copilotsreview at gmail.com. You can find a link to both of those, as well as our YouTube, our Patreon, our second hidden email, all that on our website, copilotsreview.simplecast.com. Oh, Jesus. Phosphorydactylus. Thanks for flying with us. We'll see you again soon. Thanks for flying with us. We'll see you again soon.